0: You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. In Daniel chapter 7, let me begin reading in verse 13. And read all the way down to about verse 22. which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretations of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head And the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely the horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and in the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. We're going to stop right there. Daniel's vision of the uh, four beast goes right along with what we've studied in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at that. We're going to be going through some of these. But it's interesting because Daniel through chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, through chapter 7, Daniel is writing in Aramaic or Chaldean. He is writing to people that will need to know. He's writing so that Gentiles would understand. Now in chapter 8 through the end of the book, it goes back to Hebrew. So it's interesting because this is a message for the people. This is a message for everyone. If we can, if we can go to our PowerPoint presentation, as we're going through the book of Daniel... I hope that you'll find that it's a very exciting and blessed study as we're going through the book of Daniel, especially tonight we're in chapter seven. We might look into chapter eight just a little bit, but we know that there was one standing by in our reading. There was one standing by Daniel and that was the angel Gabriel. We're going to see that where that's found in a moment. Daniel in chapter seven, chapter eight, He's had a vision. He's had dreams about the coming kingdoms. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. These occur after King Nebuchadnezzar's reign while Belshazzar, who is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, What happens now in chapter 7 is a flashback that goes between chapter 4 and 5. So chapter 7 and 8 go back in time to when Belshazzar was king and before, as we're going to see, this dream and the visions of chapter 8 fit right into that place. After chapter 4, remember Nebuchadnezzar at that time was humbled for seven years God restored him in chapter 4, and he honors and he recognizes that God is the king, that God is alone the true God. The events then of chapter 5, remember, happen over uh, 20 years, two decades after Nebuchadnezzar's death. Chapter 5, you'll remember, is Belshazzar. Belshazzar's having a great feast he invites all kinds of lords and people and he sees the hand writing on the wall so we go from chapter 4 with Nebuchadnezzar and then 20 years later we have Belshazzar. Belshazzar by the way is the son of uh, Nabonidus who was very often missing or he went off conquering and he went all around the empire And that left Belshazzar, his son, in control of the empire. Why is that important? Because remember in chapter 5, Belshazzar, who sees the handwriting on the wall, says, I will make you third in the kingdom. Well that's because Belshazzar was second. Uh, His father was still the emperor over all of the kingdom. Belshazzar is second, so he gives the highest position he could possibly, and of course we know that it was during that in chapter 5, verses 10 through 11 and 12, that a woman, the queen, comes. This is probably, we don't know whether this is Belshazzar's mother, but it is one of Naponidas' wives. The queen possibly even had some knowledge she had been around during Nebuchadnezzar's time because she was saying how Daniel was able to give interpretations to dreams and visions. So Belshazzar, of course, offers that third position as a ruler, and that's because he was already second in control. He couldn't offer anything but a third position. So that night, however, of chapter 5, The Medes and Persians overtake Babylon. This becomes the second world empire. Daniel, at that point, is 62. Uh, That's interesting because now we go into chapter 6. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. You know that Daniel is thrown in and he's a very old man. So if at 62 the Medo-Persian empire takes place... And then we have chapter 6, he's well advanced in years. He has many, many years that he's been trusting in the Lord and, and recognizing that God was in control. It's interesting because it talks about Darius the Mede and that might very well have been Cyrus because the term Darius the Mede was a term that's found for five other Persian kings as well. Cyrus overtook Babylon on October 29th, 539 B.C. That was the night Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall, was throwing a great feast because they thought, well, nobody can come in and overtake Babylon. But, of course, the Medo-Persian Empire does, and Cyrus overtakes them. Like I said, archaeologists have found inscriptions where the title, Darius the Mede, has been used for at least five different Persian kings or rulers. Sometimes we might think of that, that is actually his name. It may well be that it's speaking of Cyrus. Daniel chapter 6 verse 28 has been translated a couple of different ways. Sometimes it says Darius the Mede and Cyrus. But according to the Septuagint, it says, So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius even Cyrus the Persian. So certain translations and this early Hebrew translation says that it was the reign of Darius, even Cyrus the Persian. So we have good evidence that Darius may well be Cyrus. Well, Daniel's dream in chapter seven moves far beyond his day to the coming end of all of the Gentile kingdoms. We remember, we looked at how Nebuchadnezzar saw the vision of the the statue with the head of gold and and the shoulders of silver and then the bronze midsection and the legs of iron and then finally the feet mixed of iron and clay. These were all future kingdoms according to Daniel. However, he lived during two of those empires. So we're going to talk about Daniel's night visions now. The revelation was given to Daniel in a dream through visions, as we've seen. And he is referring to this experience as a dream, and he talks about that in verse 1 where we just read in chapter 7. And it's singular, but Daniel's really emphasizing, because as we read over later, we talked about visions in the plural. So he's using this all together, all of these dreams. And we just read in chapter 7, verse 2, where he wrote these down so that he could remember them. Have you ever been awakened and remembered your dream and then you fell back asleep and it was gone? Daniel did not do that. He recognized the importance of it and he wrote that down. All of the visions have a unity of revelation. They are explaining, unveiling what's going to happen in the last days. So he emphasizes the various stages of this unveiling of the last days five times in chapter seven it says that he looked one time in verse 11 i kept looking that continuous action so he looked and he saw these visions he recognized them and then he kept wanting to know more kept asking more so the dream refers while he was asleep to the visions that he saw while he was dreaming sometimes however a person had a vision while he was awake and we're going to find that later You'll find that in chapter 9, verse 23, that he actually has a vision while he's awake. That is also noted. Because of the great significance of Daniel's dream, immediately he wrote them down. He wanted that to be known. Daniel 7 represents a prophetic look at four kingdoms that are going to dominate the world. These are represented by the vision of the four beasts. We'll talk about those in just a moment. The final beast... This is the one we're going to focus on tonight. Is seen with iron teeth and various horns and claws. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel, it's interesting to note, are all written in the third person. It's written by Daniel, but it's third person as if it all happened somewhere else. Even Daniel's being thrown into the lion's den. Something changes from verse 7 in the last six chapters through 12. It's written in the first person. Daniel becomes very involved in this, very much a part of these visions and what's being seen. And he is unable to interpret his own dreams. It's the angel Gabriel that comes and gives him that interpretation. We're going to see where that is. Remember, it was like Nebuchadnezzar before. Nebuchadnezzar was disturbed by his dreams and he called for all of the wise men to come and give an interpretation and he's about to destroy all of the wise men which would have included Daniel and his three friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Likewise, Daniel is disturbed by this dream. He wants to know how to interpret it. Though he, he's he been able to interpret dreams in the past, but the Lord has withheld that from him at this point. He could not interpret this one or the vision of chapter 8 and verse 15. So he calls on one of those that's standing nearby. Later in chapter 8 and verse 16 and 9, 21, we recognize that this is the angel Gabriel that has come to interpret the vision for him. And Gabriel comes. Remember, Gabriel is that angel that is always bringing God's message. He came to Mary, came to Joseph. He went to, uh, I just lost John's father's name. (laughs) And, And so he went to all of those and explained and gave them the message of what was going to happen. And that's what his job was here with Daniel as well, was to bear the message of God's word. Although he fights, Zacharias, thank you. Thank you. Zacharias, for some reason I wanted to say Jacob. I knew it wasn't Jacob. Zacharias, thank you. So, Gabriel is that angel that's continuing to to come and and bring that message. And of course, the demons, those other angels that are demonic angels, those fallen angels, withhold him. They are also recognized, they're called princes and kings. They are mighty, mighty demons, and demons are over certain regions, and they have authorities and powers, and they're given to different places. And so Michael, the archangel, comes and assists Gabriel, and that's what you'll read over in chapter 9. If you remember, we talked about, and I have an artist rendition of the four beasts, the lion that has wings, the bear that has three ribs in its mouth, the four-headed leopard, and of course then what looks like a dragon that is the fourth beast. So let's think about those. We also looked at a chart once before that showed that Babylon was the the head of Nebuchadnezzar's statue, but it's also seen in chapter 7 as being a winged lion. And then we have the Medo-Persian empire, that is that of the shoulder area and the arms, the chest area. And that is the Medo-Persian empire. It's going to be seen in the form of a bear in chapter 7 that has three ribs in its mouth. We'll look at that once again. And then we're going to have the bronze midsection that represents Greece. They are seen by the four headed leopard the wing the four winged four headed leopard, and then finally the Roman empire is seen in the two legs of iron, and that is seen as this great beast that we're going to be talking about in just a moment. Think about first the winged lion. Babylon was able to conquer so much of what we know of as the Fertile Crescent. So it went from the Mediterranean up into what is today parts of Azerbaijan, Iran, and Iraq, down into Saudi Arabia, and all the way, not including Egypt. They had all of that area that's known of as the Fertile Crescent. Now we're going to think about the bear, the bear with the three ribs in its mouth the area of the Medo-Persian Empire expands. They're going all the way over even up to India. They've taken over some of Libya and Egypt of today and into parts of Greece, part of Armenia, and up around the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea and all around the Mediterranean. So you see that the Medo-Persian Empire is larger than the Babylonian Empire. It's stronger, however not as well developed. The three ribs in the mouth are three conquered areas such as Lydia, the Babylonian Empire, and then Egypt. The beast, the bear with the three ribs in the mouth are representing, are showing that this is where the Persian Empire under Cyrus the Great expands taking on all of those other areas. Now, let's think about the four-headed leopard with the four wings. It entails Alexander's Grecian Empire, which now goes on all in, of course, Greece and Macedonia, all of the area around the Black Sea toward the south. It goes all the way into India. Later on, they actually go on a little farther, From After Alexander's time, they go all the way into what is today Pakistan and India. They've taken up much of Libya, and so it's surrounding again this area of the Mediterranean. So all of these have encouraged and have been included in taking in that fertile crescent area. However, one other kingdom comes. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, it says... After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Daniel 7 and verse 8 says, And I was considering the horns. And there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. This is the artist's rendition of the fourth beast. The beast that has the ten horns, iron teeth, and the bronze claws. This is the Roman Empire. Now, this is much different. For you see, not only have they taken up much of the Fertile Crescent, but they have taken all all the way up into Western Europe, all the way into Spain, up into part of Great Britain. They did not take uh, Hadrian's Wall, went all the way up to parts of Scotland. They did not take Ireland. Uh, they take all of the the northern parts of Africa so you can see all around the Mediterranean that's the Roman Empire now that was as of 117 uh, BC so just so we understand when we compare Daniel chapter 2 and 7 we understand this beast in a little better way in Daniel chapter 2 we remember the feet that were mixed with iron and clay and there you have if you remember that artist rendition We have the feet of mixed of iron and clay. That is still in our time, the future empire. It is a part of the Roman empire. It concludes, it's included, but we are yet to see this empire. This empire is represented by the 10 horns that were on the beast. Those 10 horns that we saw, we're going to understand that they are 10 Kings. Ten kings that are still future in our time. There are several facts about this little horn that Daniel has revealed to us. Let's think about that. Verse 8, it came up after the ten horns, those kings. Verse 24 talks about those ten horns are ten kings. And they were in existence, and then they are contemporaneous with the little horn. Notice the little horn uproots three of the ten kings or three of the other roots the man of sin the antichrist is going to be a king he is going to be an emperor a ruler of some sort and he is going to overthrow three other kingdoms and three other kings there in these facts we understand that he had the eyes of a man very very intelligent he is going to be very pompous in his words very much assured of himself. He's going to be arrogant and very boastful. He knows what he wants to do. In verses 21 and 22, there are some additional facts that are given. He persecutes the saints of the Most High. We see that also in verse 25. Let me read that once again. Then he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. AND SHALL INTEND TO CHANGE TIMES AND LAWS. THEN THE SAINTS SHALL BE GIVEN OVER INTO HIS HAND FOR A TIME AND TIMES AND HALF A TIME. WE'RE GOING TO LOOK AT THAT. OBVIOUSLY, THE HORN REPRESENTS A PERSON. HE IS AN INTELLIGENT PERSON, AND HE IS GOING TO BE A RULER OR A KING. AND SO WE SEE THAT IN VERSE 24. HIS PERSECUTION OF ISRAEL IS GOING TO TAKE PLACE, WE SEE FROM THE BOOK OF REVELATION, during that final seven years. You remember, we talked about that, that seven year, that still future, the third period of Daniel's 70th week. We looked at that last week, the 70 weeks, how already 483 of those years are past. Out of the 490, seven years are future. So he will overcome the nation Israel. He'll bring that nation under his authority this under the Romans. The Romans, remember, had rule over the Holy Land before, during Christ's time. He is going to be judged by God, as we've just seen. And Israel no longer will be under the rule of the little horn, but they're going to enter into a covenant blessing in the kingdom of God. So we've moved from Gentile kingdoms to now a kingdom of God. It's going to be seen as well that this angel then interpreted the meaning of the 10 horns, stating there are 10 kings in this kingdom. The fourth empire, in spite of its great power, is going to be characterized by a progressive weakness, deterioration, and division. We saw that with the feet mixed of iron and clay. We see that also in chapter 7, verse 7 and 23. So we find then the time of the 10 horns is still future, Daniel does not see this present age that we are in, what we call the church age. He's not recognizing this. He is talking about the years of tribulation upon Israel. These 10 kings are going to coexist over a future or a realigned Roman Empire, a revived Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire has continued on through the Roman Catholic Church still calls itself the Holy Roman Empire. I think they're very much going to have a part. When you look at the book of Revelation, you see that there, is, there are two segments to the beast, one being the political segment, the other being the religious segment. And so we see those in the later chapters of the book of Revelation. That's because these leaders come up under the authority and with the complete agreement of a unifying of Europe and and all of the Middle East. Consider now all of the problems that are happening in North Africa, the Middle East, and Europe, all of the wars. And now you've got someone who comes in and he's got the plan for peace in all of that region, for peace even in Afghanistan, for peace in Iraq and Iran. That would sound wonderful. There would be peace in Syria, no longer all of the refugees. You could see how the man of sin would just come in and be very, very welcome to bring about what this world would think of as peace. So sometime after the rise of the ten horns comes the final horn. No clue was given to Daniel as to how much time later this king, this other king was going to arise I think that's well taken for us. We don't want to be time setters. If Daniel wasn't given that information, we don't have that information. We don't know. It may be very soon. It may not be soon. But we need to be ready for the coming of Christ. In his rise to power, he subdues three kings. That's called the three horns in verse 8. And he brings these three nations Under along with the other 10, under his initial rise to power and his authority and his dominance. And so in verse 25, there's some additional facts that are now revealed. He will oppose God's authority. He's going to speak against the Most High. Everything that we've seen in Daniel, he speaks pompous words. He is opposing the Most High. It's interesting because this world very much would like to get rid of the judeo christian ethic that we no longer have the ethics that used to rule in our land you see they want to overthrow that they want to overthrow god's law he is going to oppress god's saints it said that over and over he will introduce a whole new system of laws he wants to abandon all the previous laws He wants to institute his own system. That's what this man of sin is going to do. Now in verse 25, here's even three more facts that are revealed. Also, we find this in in chapter 9, verse 27. He's going to appear initially as Israel's friend. And then in the middle of that seven-year period, he turns on Israel and becomes Israel's persecutor. He's going to persecute the saints of the Most High. For the first three and a half years, the saints are given into his hand. He's going to occupy Jerusalem as the capital of his empire for three and one half years. We find that also in the book of Revelation. We read that a moment ago, a time and times and half a time. This refers to that first three and a half years of the great tribulation. A time meaning one year, times or two more years, and half a time or six months. So that equals 1,260 days that Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 tells us the 42 months of Revelation 11 and 13. By the way, in Revelation 11 and verse 2, the 42 months are the times of the uh, two witnesses, that the two witnesses are going to be there in the Holy Land as the witnesses. And so for three and a half years, 42 months, they are given power. They're posing the man of sin until finally they are killed. Thank God for verses 26 and 27. Let me just read that. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, HIS KINGDOM IS AN EVERLASTING KINGDOM, AND ALL DOMINIONS SHALL SERVE AND OBEY HIM. YOU SEE, ALL DOMINION IS GIVEN BY GOD. WHEN GOD, GOD THE FATHER, WHO IS THE JUDGE, CONVENES THIS COURT, HE JUDGES THE LITTLE HORN, HIS POWER IS REMOVED, HE'S DESTROYED. WE SEE THAT AS WELL IN THE NEW TESTAMENT. THAT'S GOING TO OCCUR AT THE SECOND COMING OF CHRIST. AND SO... At the beginning of the thousand-year reign, the Son of Man is given authority to rule. He is given the final kingdom. He will rule over the saints, the people of the Most High. And He will rule over the redeemed of Israel, that national Israel that are people that love the Lord now, that recognize their Messiah that before refused Him. They have been bound by God, to God, by God's covenant through Abraham. They are God's elect people. It's interesting that this kingdom will never be overthrown. It will never be superseded by another as all of the Gentile kingdoms, each one is superseded by the next. It's going to continue in the millennium and then on forever. Jesus Christ is king of kings And Lord of Lords. All the peoples, all the kings, all those in positions of power and rulers are going to worship and obey Him. The New Testament tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember, we spoke about our artist's rendition of all of the kingdoms, how there is a destroying rock that comes and destroys the feet that are mixed, made of iron and clay. That kingdom is the kingdom of Christ. It comes from a huge mountain, not made with hands. That is, speaking of God's power, the power of our Christ. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is coming to this world. That's the book of Daniel. That's the hope that we have. That's what we're looking forward to in all of these great and wonderful purposes. If we've seen in all of that, we see the Lord is coming. If we don't get any other message, if we don't get any other word, I hope that you recognize that it's important to live for Christ today. If the man of sin isn't revealed for hundreds of years, that's okay. We live for Christ now. If he is revealed in the next few years, that's okay too. Because we know who's in charge. We know who's in control. If we are called upon in your Christian life, in your Christian witness, if you're called upon like these other saints that are persecuted, that many of them give their lives in that three-and-a-half-year period, then we find them under the altar of God in heaven as martyrs crying out. What a wonderful position to have that you've given your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful place. You know, sometimes we need to get our thinking changed, our thinking made right, to recognize that this life is just a moment. Eternity with the Lord is forever. We want to forsake, like Moses, he forsook the pleasures, the sin of Egypt, knowing the greatness of the kingdom of God. How about it? Do you know the greatness of the kingdom? Are you looking forward to what the Lord's going to do? The precious promises. And all of this that we've seen, I want you to walk away with one lesson learned. It's worth following Christ today. It's worth continuing on because He wins. Our God wins. Our God is in control. We can have rest and peace and hope in that. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions of a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.